Would you open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 45? Genesis chapter 45. Rick and Lynn Baker. How many want to know some stories? <laughs> I remember the days when they were still single. That's how long I've known them. Uh, two bright young people came to Bible college, led by the Spirit of God. God brought them together also. Uh, both were exceptional students. Uh, Lynn, almost equal to Rick. You tell her I said that. Uh, as you know, I was president of a Bible college at one time, and every uh, Sunday we would travel. I would have a travel team with me. And so we would speak somewhere in the morning, we would speak somewhere at night, and uh, quite a vigorous schedule. It is a Sunday afternoon, and we arrived in Dunville, Ontario. You know where Dunville is? Okay. AGC Church, I had not met the pastor before, he had not met me. And so this is going to be interesting, I thought. And so uh, uh, we had some a light lunch before the service, and then the service time came, and our gospel team had a presentation, and I could tell he was nervous. And so uh, he was getting up to introduce me and was sort of fumbling with, you know, his words, what to say about me and so on. And uh, he finally, you know, said all the things he needed to say. And he said, now, folks, it's a great honor tonight to have with us Dr. Jerry Falwell. <laughs> Two-thirds right but one-third wrong, right? I want to share with you one of my favorite stories. This is for seniors, okay? Okay, this is, this is my favorite story. For, next Sunday morning, I'll do something for children and young people. Today, this is Seniors Day. All right, seniors? Uh, elderly couple walk into a fast food restaurant one cold evening. The wife makes her way to a table while her husband orders their dinner. When he joins her a few minutes later, the young man, sitting across from them, notices that he only bought one meal. After sitting down, the husband splits the burger in two, places one half in front of his wife. Then he carefully counts the fries and divides them into equal portions. Excuse me, says the young man. I can't help but notice that you only got one meal for the two of you. I'd be more than happy to buy one for your wife if you allow me. That's all right, the husband replies with a smile. We've been sharing everything for years now. A few minutes later, the young man asked, Ma'am, why aren't you eating? He said, you share everything. What are you waiting for? The teeth, she replies. I enjoyed it too. In Genesis chapter 45, we're going to look at a man who looked for God and found him. Next Sunday morning, the same man who looked for good and found it. So today, a man who looked for God and found him. We're going to read chapter 45, verses 1 to 18. I want you to notice 
how often this man refers to God and how he refers to God, because that will be key to our understanding of this, this passage. I'm reading from the New International Version. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all the, his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there were no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And rightly so. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God... Notice that. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in a land or region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I'll provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you've seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers, wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were were pleased. Take note of this, because obviously, Joseph had not passed on offenses. We'll note that shortly. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals, and return to the land of Canaan. And bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we believe that by divine appointment we are here this morning. We have come to hear from heaven through the word of God. Your word is truth. We have come, Father, to discover that you are able. 
As we sang that song this morning, a reminder that he, you, our God, you are able. You're able in Joseph's life. You're able in our lives. We live in interesting days during interesting times. Perhaps, Father, these are days in which we need to learn to trust you more and better. We recognize that the events of life are not accidents, but incidents. May the Spirit of God speak to our hearts today from the Word of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. He was in the city of Paris, France. And he picked up a newspaper and he read, believe it or not, his obituary. You don't expect to pick up a newspaper and read your obituary. Okay. Now, I always check the London Free Press to make sure I'm not there. Okay. So my name is not appearing in the obituary column. But here he was, his name was there, and sure enough, it described him. Merchant of death dies. You're aware that for famous people, newspapers around the world have these kind of things already written. I mean, they're ready when famous people die. The only problem was they should have checked, checked their facts because actually it was his brother that had died, not him. And so, major mistake was made. And he thought, as he read that, he was shaken by the appraisal of his life in that obituary. Man responsible for the deaths of so many has died. And as he thought about this, he thought, I wonder, could I actually change my legacy? He would live another eight years before he died, and he did something so significant that he surely did change his obituary, I mean, his legacy. Absolutely changed it. Most of us, when I tell you the name of this man, will say, aha, yeah, I know that name. I want you to be thinking about this during the message. I'll tell you at the end. Okay, so don't leave early. I'll tell you at the end who this man was who actually changed his legacy by something significant that he did. Today we're looking at a man that uh, you know the story so well, really. His name is Joseph. And Joseph did something in his life that he would change his legacy. He really did. When you think of Joseph, we think of a young man with privilege. I mean, here's a man with a past. Okay? I mean, this man grew up in a wealthy family in that day. Great-grandson of Abraham. Grandson of Isaac. Son of Jacob. They had wealth. 
probably one of the wealthiest families at that time. This young man had privilege, and yet at the same time, he came from a dysfunctional family, correct? I mean, in that household, I mean, scheming, plotting, all kinds of things that happened, he actually had four mothers. He had his birth mother, her sister, two other women that the Bible even calls wives of, 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 of his dad, Jacob. So we have four women in this household. We have a multitude number of children because all these four women will have children. I mean, talk about dysfunctional family. This is a dysfunctional family. Prime example. In fact, when I counsel people, my conclusion is, folks, uh, all of us to some extent, to some degree, come from dysfunctional families. You know why? Because we have sin natures. You are born with one. I'm born with one. We're all born with sin natures. And so to that extent, all of us, to some degree, are dysfunctional because all of our lives we struggle with the sin nature. And that's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ, correct? That's why we need salvation. That's why we need a savior. I'm just reading right now a book on Islam. You know, there's, there's no salvation in Islam. I mean, it's not something you want to become, folks, because there's no savior, there's no salvation. In fact, the only hope you have of any kind of salvation is when the day of judgment comes, and they all fear the day of judgment, and on the day of judgment, somehow Allah will weigh your life in the balances, and unless your good deeds somehow outweigh your bad deeds, you can never go to paradise or or their concept of heaven. We don't believe that, do we? We believe that all of us have a sin problem. We believe that all of us are dead in our sins. We believe that all of us need to be made alive for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what salvation's all about. That's what Calvary's all about. That's why Jesus came to this planet, the Son of God, to die for our sins. I'm saying that at the very beginning today because perhaps you're here this morning and you're thinking that somehow if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I can somehow get to God's heaven or, or paradise, whatever you want to call it. Wrong, not ever. Doesn't work that way. Only one way to God, that's through Jesus Christ, and you come as a sinner who's lost and he saves you by his grace. And so here we have Joseph, privilege, dysfunctional family. The day came for peril in his life. And again, you know the story because his dad had sent him and here he comes now with this brilliant coat of of perhaps several colors. We don't know exactly what that word means. But they recognized him and they began to plot. They put him in a pit. Some even thought maybe we should even kill him. And so in a pit he goes. And then he's sold as a slave and down into Egypt. And he ends up with Potiphar's household. So from privilege to peril to pit to Potiphar's household. And you know the story of Potiphar's wife. Not a nice woman. She wants to sleep with this young man. He says no. No way. And he leaves his coat behind. Potiphar comes home. 
And the next step, of course, is prison. Wouldn't you at this stage of your life begin to think, where is God in this picture? Where is God in my life? If there's a God, the God of my father, he, he taught me about this God. Where is this God now? And so here he is now in prison. And he'll be there a number of years. But God was in the picture, right? God was there. In in your darkest hour, my friends, I don't care how dark it is, God is truly there. And you think, well, where is God? Uh, Here I am hurting. Where is God when I'm hurting? Interesting, since I retired six years ago, God has given me a ministry of helping hurting people become healthy again. Churches and people. I'm just finishing, I just finished this month, in fact, uh, interim ministry in St. Thomas, Ontario, a year and a half. I said to the chairman of the board, as I began my ministry there a year and a half ago, I said, what are you looking for? What do you expect of me? What do you want from me as your interim pastor? One sentence said it all. I want you to help us become healthy again. That's a good answer, isn't it? To become healthy. That's what God wants for all of us. He He wants our church to be healthy. He wants individuals to be healthy. Doesn't mean you won't have trials and problems and difficulties. Notice your outline that we have in the bulletin, folks, several things here. First of all, Joseph had a past. We'll have a past. Secondly, 20 years have now gone by. So you say, well, Jerry, are you saying this morning that time heals all things? I'm not saying that at all. I know people 20 years after events in their lives and there's no healing at all. I think you would find this morning that if we were able to have a spiritual x-ray of all of our lives, that most of us uh, still have baggage from our past that we're holding on to. There are things in our lives and maybe disappointments with our parents and our families and, 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 and we drag these hurts along with us through life. Stop it. Stop it. Folks, get rid of that stuff. Why do you want to carry that baggage through life? Why do you want to hold on to that disappointment? Why do you want to hold on to that hurt? Stop it. You say, what can I do do with that hurt? You don't know my abuse as a child. I, I don't. You know, someone who knew that about that abuse is God. In a typical congregation like this, there are probably women here this morning who've had abortions. And you're holding on to this kind of hurt through life and, 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 and struggling. Stop it. 
May today be an end of that stuff. Listen, we can take all of our hurts, we can take all of our disappointments, and we can put them on an altar before God and say, God, I'm giving this to you. I am tired of holding on to this. I'm tired of dragging this with me through life. The need to accept what I cannot change. Right? Joseph came to a time in his life when when he stopped hating his brothers. I mean, here are the brothers who tried to have him killed. They sold him as a slave. They they lied to their father about him and took back his coat covered with animal blood and said, this is your son's coat. This, This is his blood. And so this fabrication through life that Jacob had to hold on to because he lost the son of his, that he loved. And so for 20 years now, here's this man has gone through all these events in life, but praise God, okay, praise God, he could see God. He could see God. He saw God, Okay. You didn't do this to me. God was in the picture. God. <laughs> and so when you take the, the events of life and you're leading me for God and say, God, I don't understand it all. Maybe I never will. But I want to see you instead of the garbage and the hurt and disappointments. Can you do that? Can you give that to God? My next point here is the need to close each chapter. I do some counseling along the way also. Here's what I discovered as I try to help people. They don't know how to close chapters. You see, all of our lives are made up of chapters. And chapters that focus on happenings and events and and these things of life. And they don't know how to close a chapter. Folks, you need to close a chapter. You need to let that chapter end in your life and say, God, I can begin to see now what you're doing. I don't understand it all, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to trust you to close that chapter in my life because I want to get on in life. I want you to restore the joy of my salvation. That was the cry of David, wasn't it? I believe Psalm 51 was David closing a chapter. And if you want to read that psalm, it's a great psalm to help you close a chapter. There are several psalms that help you close chapters in your life. Psalm 32, Psalm 103, these all help you close chapters. The second thing I want to point out today is this. We need to learn not to pass on offenses. Did you notice in chapter 45 where it says here, Uh, Verse 16, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animal. And and he begins to sell certain things, which, which are nice things to do. Here's something else I've discovered in life. When we receive a hurt... Instead of dealing with that hurt, we tend to share the hurt. 
it was, I guess, about five years ago now, I received a phone call to go to a church in Port Huron, Michigan. I would spend three, three years there as interim pastor. This was made of a people who shared, they are touring with seat 1200. I guess we're running maybe around 300 at this time. Here's what happened. Ten years ago, on Mother's Day, the senior pastor got behind the pulpit and said, I can no longer work with the leaders in this church. Those who want to come with me will go and we'll start a new church. They were running around 600 people. 300 got up and walked out on Mother's Day and left 300 behind. That's one story. Five years ago, same church. Okay? Same church. Eleven men walked up to the platform and said, we're taking over the service. The pastor was done that day. Same church. And so here we have this church, and, and, and they, they've got all these, these hurts. In fact, when I first went there, I said, don't we ever do Lord's Table here? They said, we stop Lord's Table. I said, why would you stop Lord's Table? Wouldn't that be part of the healing to have Lord's Supper together? Because we know there'd be too much hypocrisy in the congregation we did the Lord's Table. There, there were two camps. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to visit every home. And I want you to tell me your story. Because we want to see healing. I can't tell you the whole story, folks, but God healed that congregation. God healed. But he, here was the problem. They were passing offenses. And he would say, John, you know, I've been hurt, John. And I want you to hear my side of this thing. And so John hears it. And I say, Calvin... Uh, I've been hurt, buddy. I want you to hear my side of the story, okay? And, and you begin to share these offenses, and you end up with the church very divided, and we need healing. Number three, we need to learn to trust God with the big picture. Notice he trusts God with the big picture. Watch what he says here. A reminder, verse, chapter 43, 45, excuse me, verse 5. And now do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God, God, in these 20 years from that happening when he was 17 years old, now he's in his late 30s, he said, God, he can see God. Can you trust God with the big picture? I don't care what it is that happened in your life. Uh, Liz and I, we, we've lost a child. We, we have actually, we had seven children. Uh, we buried one. And we do need to pray for the Elliott family today. David and Lisa Elliott. You know, they used to be in Coburg. Not very far from here. God. I brought something along with me today. It's actually a jigsaw puzzle. Do you like jigsaw puzzles? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, I'm just too impatient. I mean, I want it done in an hour. 
If it can't be done in an hour, don't bother me with it, please. I actually brought this for two reasons. Uh, the first reason is uh, my wife and I took two of our grandsons. Yeah, are you familiar with Answers in Genesis? Creation research. Um, are you aware of the project outside of Cincinnati uh, where we have a museum, creation museum? How many have been there? I mean, I'm just curious. Anybody been there yet? Folks, you need to go. You know, we, we live in a world today where our culture says, no God, right, no God, and everything evolved. I mean, there's some magazines I won't read anymore. For National Geographic, they may have some good stuff in it, folks. I, I just will not read it. You know why? They have no place for God. Everything is billions of years. I don't believe that. And so Creation Museum, Answers in Genesis, uh, I invite you to go, take your family. It will reinforce your confidence in the Word of God. It's Bible. All the way through. Bible, Bible, Bible. Okay? It's well done. So I, I want to just encourage you to do that. Okay? Just outside of Cincinnati, where Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio come together. It's right in a little square there. You'll find it there. Suppose you were to work with me this afternoon on this jigsaw puzzle. Suppose I emptied the box and said, okay, folks, then, then, I, then I hide this. Then, then I hide the picture. Maybe I never even show you the picture. How much of a challenge is it to do jigsaw without a picture? Is that hard? That's hard. Right? It's hard, folks. How would you put the thing together? You don't know what it looks like. What a great illustration of life. Correct? Folks, we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what the end product that God has designed for us, that God has designed for this congregation, that God has designed for your life. I don't know what it looks like. Tell me, is there someone who knows what it looks like? Is there someone who knows what it looks like? Yes, God. Same as creation, folks. Who am I going to believe? A scientist who was not there or God who was there? Tell me, who am I going to believe? Thank you. Okay. You're a creationist then. Okay. Because God was there. God's a witness. He said, I saw it. I did it. Okay, it's mine. Wow. God is there. Listen to me. Tell me uh, listen to me. God knows the big picture for my life and your life. I can trust him. You can trust him. You say, Jerry, there are a lot of things I don't have answers for. I don't either. Joseph was able to see the hand of God. I got time to tell you one story this morning. Bill and Kathy Rice, if you know John R. Rice, maybe some of you older folks might know that name. Bill and Kathy Rice were students at Moody Bible Institute. Dedicated their lives to God. Wanted to serve the living God. We're students. Kathy became pregnant. 
and she would deliver their first child in Chicago while they were attending Moody. They knew there was something wrong almost from the beginning. Little Betty would be tested, and they discovered that the little girl, because Kathy had uh, some kind of sickness when she was pregnant, and because of the sickness, Betty was born deaf. She would never hear a thing. Typical parents, they bow before God and say, Lord, help us. Here we are trying to serve you with our lives. And our firstborn is deaf. At first, there's anger, disappointment, great hurt. Young parents. Why would God allow this to happen? Why, why, why would this happen to our little girl, Betty? As Betty began to grow, they would learn sign language. God began to put a burden on their hearts for other people. Thousands of people, in fact. Thousands of parents. Thousands of other children. God would lead them to begin what was, or used to be, I think probably still is, the largest Christian death ministry in the world. The Bill Rice Ranch, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I've met Betty. Her husband, Don Cabbage. That's his name. Love God, serve God. Did God know when Kathy became ill that this little girl would become deaf? Did God know that? Yes, he did. Was God sovereign in Betty's life from the very beginning? Yes, he was. Did God have a purpose uh, in this family of this deaf girl being born to this Christian couple? Yes. Could God see the big picture as far as the ministry that would be worldwide eventually and reach many deaf people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did God know that? Yes. They could see God, the hand of God eventually. I'm going to go back to the story from the very beginning. He picked up that newspaper in Paris. And he read his obituary. How can I change my legacy? Anybody know the man's name? Merchant of Death? The inventor of dynamite. Alfred Nobel. And so today, when we think of Nobel, I don't think of the Merchant of Death, I think of a Peace Prize, don't you? Isn't that amazing? How a man would change his legacy. Here's a man, Joseph, in that prison in Egypt would change his legacy. From a young man who was nursing hurts and hate and bitterness. In fact, next Sunday morning, we're going to see how God brought good out of all this. That'd be part two. Okay, today's part one. 
This morning, I, I just threw a couple of these in my pocket. It's called Knowing God Personally. After the service, I'm going to be down this front pew here. I'll stay here at the front. Maybe you're here this morning. You're saying, Jerry, I've got so many things in my life, so many disappointments, so many hurts. We're here to help you, folks. The church is here to be a help, to help you find healing. Uh, the church is really a spiritual hospital, isn't it? We go to hospitals to uh, get healing physically. I trust you've come today to church to be healed spiritually. Whatever it is in your life, if you need to meet Jesus Christ for the first time, uh, we'd love to show you from the word of God how you can know Jesus Christ. It's not folks one day thinking, waking up in, in, in eternity and saying, I wonder, will God somehow think I've lived better life than I've not and, and somehow the good will outweigh the evil? Never, never, never. That is never taught in the Bible. It's now, today, you need to accept Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you have met with us. To trust in, we sang this song about trusting in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. We sang about God being able. And Father, you are the God that, who is able. We believe that. You're able to save anyone here this morning who's not saved yet. You're able to help anyone who needs healing. You're able to rescue any individual, Father, who's struggling in life. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for caring for us. Would you have your way now as we close this service? In our Savior's name we pray. Amen.